0: listener production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringoudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to the Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better.
1: We're very excited for this next episode of the Wellness Collective with Simon Hill, who is a fellow podcaster, but also a qualified nutritionist and physiotherapist and has a new book called The Proof is in the Plants, How the Science Shows Plant-Based Diets Could Save Your Life. We talk about nutrition, obviously, and how you can add more plants to your plate, no matter what your nutrition looks like. We also talk about the food industry we talk about research and the science behind adding a more plant-based way of eating to your regime and about planetary wellness as well. We do hope you enjoy this next episode of The Wellness Collective. <sighs> Always love that, that awkward silence at the beginning of a podcast where you're like, what are you going to say? Yeah, hey, what are you going to say? Thinking sigh. My husband said to me the other day, you sigh a lot. I'm like,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I. it's just
0: my thinking. It mm-hmm. just feels... Funny because I remember my mum sighing a lot and going, "Oh,
1: what's she sighing about?
0: What's the matter? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nothing's the matter. Just oh, uh, processing life, you know." Hey, I have a question for you. Please. Over the course of you know, you're not that many years on this planet, but enough. Nah, I've got plenty to go. How many different ways of eating have you labelled yourself over time? You know the answer. I know. To this. I know. I do. Okay. go. Zero. I'm not into diets. It's not my thing. Well, it's not about being a diet, but I think we fall into a trap of putting things in a label. We have to label everything, whether it's a condition, mm-hmm. whether it's... It can help, though. I mean, labels,
0: it's interesting you say you that. I think it helps? I think it can help. It depends on the situation. If you think about, I mean, lots of kids have got labels these days, and I have thought about that in terms of kids, like if your kid's labeled dyslexic or autistic or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the label is annoying. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. It can, but I think it can be helpful because it means you can then put things in place that can facilitate a better arrangement for whatever that label
1: means. Right. Well, I think the problem is we embody the label rather than just Oh, well, have, that can happen yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we're not really here to talk about labels, but... I was asthmatic <laughs> and then I was bad at running account of my asthma. So maybe that's my... Well, look, the reason that I want to talk about that, I'm going to welcome our guest today, who is the host of Plant Proof, uh, amazing podcast, Mm -hmm. nutritionist and physiotherapist, Simon Hill. I've known Simon for a very long time and I'm really excited to welcome him to the podcast today. Hi, Simon.
2: Hi, guys. Thank you very (laughs) much for having me. big honor to be here with you.
1: Yeah, but the reason that I was starting with that introduction is that Simon as long as I've known you, it's only in more recent times that you've started being more vocal in talking about plant-based eating. Mm -hmm. And have you always eaten this way? And is it a label? Like, is a plant-based diet a label?
2: It's a great question. I technically don't use it as a label, but more of a framework of a manner of eating that kind of describes a set of characteristics. And we do i guess have a thirst for labels and absolutes and black and whites <laughs> and you know i try in in the book to explain that the science is not black and white and there is a lot of nuance so i guess you could call a plant based diet a label but how i describe it in the book is that in actual fact plant based itself refers to a number of different labels. It could be a Mediterranean diet. It could be yeah. a, a DASH diet or a pescatarian diet or a vegetarian diet, or it could be a diet that is plant exclusive. So it is more of a framework. And you know what I hope to sort of show in the book is that there are a number of ways to achieve a healthy, optimal diet. And I want people to find one that they can commit to and sustain into, into the long-term
0: The book is actually called The Proof is in the Plants, How Science Shows a Plant-Based Diet Could Save Your Life and the Planet. I mean, big, that's big, but it's true. Even like as an anecdotal thing, I had a veggie curry for tea last night. Oh, how was that? It was delicious. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to, I think the thing is that veggies, they're not particularly sexy on a lot of fronts. Mm. And we were conditioned growing up for the meat and three veg kind of arrangement. Even if you go out for Chinese food, you might uh, go, "I'll have the, you know, pork, beef, chicken, brawn." Mm. Like everything comes in like a meat as the first and idea. The last one. Yeah, <laughs> What's the yes, last one? A vegetarian the option. vegetarian <laughs> option. Yeah, so you know, it's it's not sexy, or it's a way of thinking. So I guess is that the first hurdle that you go, I will put this framework a- around and work within it, and that's the hardest bit.
2: Yeah, I think you, you nailed it with meat and three veg. If if you think about meat and three veg, which is how I grew up as well, and no doubt how my parents ate and how a lot of Australians eat, right? If you think about, imagine just removing the meat and what you're left with, it's not that appealing, right? <laughs> but that's not what I'm eating on a daily basis, and certainly not what I'm proposing people eat. I I think food's to be enjoyed, and there needs to be joy, and you should love the flavors. So, I don't want people to think that they're left with carrot and beans. There's a lot more to plant based eating, and you can actually make it very flavorful and very, very fun and enjoyable.
1: Yeah, I love this discussion. And I, it was kind of a bit of a leading question. I was hoping that (laughs) I I kind of figured that's what we're going to talk about (laughs) because it can mean variations of so many things and also working out what's right for you, which is. Can be difficult, but you've got a lot of science in the book, which I really want to talk about because I think there are a lot of people, especially health providers, experts, even specialists and scientists, that are potentially, according to what you're suggesting, interpreting the science incorrectly. And I mean, that's a big topic, but I want to understand in your research, how did you, how did this rabbit hole, you've obviously mm. gone down a rabbit hole, where yeah. did that start?
2: I guess top line, if we look at say the American College of Cardiology or the latest endocrinology guidelines or the American Cancer Society, all of these major leading guidelines are advocating for plant-based dietary patterns. So what, what I'm bringing to the table is not something left field. It is, it's yeah, it's yeah. in the consensus papers. But you're right that there is some misinterpretation and there is some confusion. And the first part of my book is on sources of confusion. And often, I think a lot of this is honest misinterpretations. Nutrition science is very, very confusing. We're looking at so many different foods, often the dose is the poison. We need to ask, compared to what? It's hard to know if a food is healthy or unhealthy unless you're thinking about what would it be displacing or replacing in someone's diet. And it's hard to look at one study in isolation and draw a conclusion. What I've tried to do in the book is, is explain that you need to zoom back out and look at studies in amongst all of the literature we have and look for converging lines that are all pointing in the same direction, be it from population studies or randomized controlled trials. And really what we see, and it's why those consensus statements are advocating for plant-based dietary patterns, is that... There is a protective effect of eating more whole plants. Mm. Now, that doesn't have to be an all or nothing play. And like you said earlier, it's not sexy to tell people to eat more fruits, vegetables, (laughs) and legumes. But these things are good for our health. And time and time again, we are seeing that. You know, it's just difficult to try and wrap that up into something and and put it into a book and sell it.
0: I'm glad you said that. I think the difficulty is because you understand it and you're a professional and you've studied it. And, you know, the difficulty is trying to convince the layperson who doesn't understand the complexities and how to, you know, create a diet that's going to be better in these sorts of fats or those sorts of fats and you might have heard something then something's contradictory, it's a minefield. So, trying I'm I'm really big on dumbing things down for people. I know a lot of authors and professionals don't like that terminology and it's not taking away from what you've done. I think it's the opposite. I think it's if you can take your professional expertise and make that accessible to normal people who don't have that, then that, you've kicked goals. Mm.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I I also think though, be back to what Nat said, there is so much, there's so many different opinions out yeah. there. Right? So I almost felt like originally when I was writing the book, to use your word, I dumped it down a lot. Good. But I got to the draft and I realized that I'm just going to be adding to the confusion because I'm not actually teaching people why what I'm saying is actually the the conclusions you come to when you yeah, look at right. science. Perfect. So I actually tried to make it still very accessible, but give people the information that hopefully immunizes them a little bit against misinformation. Yeah. So that next time they see a crazy headline or whatever, they don't feel derailed. Mm. And they don't feel like, you know, the fact they're eating legumes is going to harm their health, for example. It's like so
0: that. frustrating, isn't it? That one headline can do so much damage. Because people just go, but also, oh, that's
1: real. Yeah, yeah, but that sounds better. Like, yeah. you mean I don't have to do that? <laughs> I think people hold the on to that work. because how often, for me, a patient would be like, does it really matter? It's like it's, it really matters. Like, you know, food is going to take you one of two directions. Mm. And I think we forget that. It's either going to support your health or it's not. There's, no, there's nothing in between. So one question I do have when it comes to this, and you've talked a lot about carbohydrate and fats, Mm. but what about protein? Yes, Mm. that's the biggest
0: issue, I think, for me as a non-vegetarian person and a person with very fussy children.
1: Where do you get all the protein from? Or do we need as much as we're told?
2: Well, I mean, you need as much as the RDI says. I mean, the RDI is set up for someone who's living a a relatively low-key life, you know, quite mm-hmm. sedentary. And that's at about 0.8 grams per kilo. Uh, and all of the major studies looking at vegetarian and vegan populations, for example, and I guess we should preface this, the book is not about adopting a vegetarian or vegan diet. It's about adding more plants to your plate and shifting towards that style approach. Yep. But the reassuring thing is that when you look at vegetarian and vegan populations, they are consuming adequate amount of protein. The primary food group will be legumes. So, You know, lentils and beans and chickpeas and tofu and tempeh and legume pastas and things like that. But you'll also get some in, you know, chia seeds and soy milk and flax seeds and hemp seeds and things like that too. But the main takeaway point being that they are consuming adequate amounts of protein. But what is optimal for, say, your performance level? Like, so for me, I am training pretty much every day. I want to improve strength, I want to promote lean muscle. When I shifted to this dietary pattern, it wasn't enough for me to think, okay, I'm going to reduce my risk of, of chronic disease. I didn't want to sacrifice my well being and performance today. You know, I'm 92 kilos and I can consume adequate amounts of, of protein to fuel my athletic endeavors. Um, I suppose so, yes, it doesn't it, really it, matter
0: it, too if you have too many.
2: If you have too much protein? Yeah. The only downside of, of having too much protein probably, unless you have kidney disease, otherwise is that it can start to crowd out other food groups. But yeah, you're right. I, I work with some people who are consuming two, 2.5 grams per kilogram and that seems to work best for them. But I'm a big believer in adapting to to mm. this whole plant-based theme that does work best for you and leaves you feeling best and that will look a little differently. you know some people do a bit better on higher fat, some people do a bit better on slightly lower fat, for example.
0: It's amazing, mm. isn't it? We um renovated our house a couple of years ago and our builders both were vegan. And I loved watching them because I was like these guys have got energy and they worked their butts off. But oh, there was a lot didn't of bananas you. Or- <laughs> Yeah, I made them a vegan cake first off, and I was like, I'm "Never doing that again." The chia seeds instead of the egg was like, it was a challenge. I mean, I could do it again,
1: really. I've got a recipe recipe book that you could have used, to, uh, yeah, for yours. These. Yeah, right.
0: Okay, now you tell me. A couple of years too late, uh, but yeah, it was really fascinating. They ate a lot of bananas, a lot mm. of bananas, and I was like, "Okay, this is a window into a different world."
1: There you go. There was no big M's and and four and twenty pies. No. Let's put it that way. No, well, that's why they had so much energy. Mm. My next question, Simon. Let's talk about the food industry and you know the the hidden agenda I guess let's just put it out there from the beginning I did a live recording this morning with a psychologist a child psychologist and she was talking about how and this I thought, Oh gosh, we don't talk about this enough. But she said we set our children up from the beginning incorrectly. You go to a restaurant; the kids' menu is full of rubbish. Yes, and that's what you ingrain in them to continue to eat. It's and I'm so like, weird, I have never it? even thought about yeah. that. Having said that, my kids never want to order off the kids' menu because they're. I've always been like these spoiled children, but now I'm thinking about it. It's no. like, well, actually, it's just monkey see, there's, monkey there's do. There's no plate of veggies and the in the chicken nuggets and chips. You know and, what? My son talked to school yesterday. Like, I was like, can you just eat a sandwich? He, and now I'm going to sound like I'm bragging and I'm not because he doesn't eat all the time like this, but he insisted on having a thermos of corn and broccoli. <laughs> Aww, <laughs> and I was like, and I, here I am, I was getting frustrated and I put it on Instagram and had a whinge and someone texted me and said, excuse me, can you take that back? Because I would love for my child to take that to school. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Now yeah. I am, really am that person. But food industry, like, you know, what's, what is this hidden agenda?
2: Well, I mean, they, the, the food industry shapes our environment everything from the foods that are showing up on our shelves and the way that they're more likely to be on sale than than healthy foods to the, you know, sponsorship of, you know, sporting organizations that, that kids are, are watching and players that they idolize. You know, we've had an, some big issues with with marketing to children. You know, oh. ultra processed foods being marketed to children in Australia and there is some regulation on that that's that's been coming through but it's self-regulated by the industry itself so often what you think is going to happen does not end up happening and and we have actual peer reviewed science showing that those regulations are not doing a good enough job you know in Australia today 42% of the average person's calories come from ultra processed foods
1: wow so That's difficult, a though. lot of calories. You know what's interesting? You say this when you talk about sporting. My husband, for work reasons, often it, or has been in the past in the change rooms after the players have often finished at, say, the MCG, mm. and he says to me, he's like, they always have either Subway pizza or, and he's Gatorade. like, yeah, he's like, there's some science behind this. I said, no, it's called sponsorship. <laughs> it's not science. <laughs> but he's like, no, but why do all these athletes in yeah. They seem to have this what I would just in inverted commas junk meal after a game, and I said well, it's got I don't think convenient. it's got anything to so do I think with it's performance, a big part of it. But right? this is like you said, it's sponsorship. It's mm. what's, and if this is what also, you know, broadcasting back to a room after a football game, you've got pizzas on the table or whatever. We see that as consumers mm. and go, oh, that's what you're supposed to have after you you know exactly. have a high level performance game or whatever.
2: Yeah, and it's what our kids see. Yes. You know, it's what they, they grow up thinking is the normal way to eat. You know, I I, knew, I know growing up, uh, you know, in Melbourne myself, you know, and going to all of the footy games and idolizing those players, that definitely impacted me and my food choices for sure.
0: Mm. I think also too, it's about convenience. Like I just said, like we went on a road trip just recently and trying to feed yourself mm. on a road trip is really hard because mm. you've got, you know, the fast food outlets But apart from
1: that, there's not much unless you pack a sandwich and take everyone fast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just make a fast. we're going to have a trip and we're fasting <laughs> until we get there. Well, well, you know what's interesting though. I think that's another interesting thing because when I travel, I don't I, I far. I mean, just by the nature of how I feel, mm. and I don't generally eat. And you know, on a, especially on an aeroplane, I'm like oh, that food is often. Oh my god, I love aeroplane food. Oh my goodness, it's like don't worry, it's never going to happen again, so I won't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. anyway, the point is, you know, being able to n- go without food and. Still be fueled and people being fascinated by that, which is another whole conversation. But I think it's interesting that we also have these ideas in our head that we have to eat at certain times and certain things mm. for certain, you know. And it's, I don't know, we've, I feel like we might have it a bit, bit backwards.
2: So our priorities, and we're conditioned to look forward to that fast junk food on the highway. But arguably, it's just as convenient to pull an apple out of your bag mm. instead of pulling in and, and getting the hash brown and McMuffin.
1: Yeah, and Cecilia is showing everyone, <laughs> but I don't know that you actually she grabbed semen, that. Seeming yeah.
2: nuts <laughs> um, But the foods as well, like the the ultra-processed foods that, that are accounting for 42% of the average Australian's calories, it's not just that they're on the shelf, it's that they're actually being formulated, created to make them hyper-palatable and they're irresistible. And nature, it really can't compete when you mm-hmm. have these hyperpalatable foods in our life and if you go back i guess to ancestral times it really made sense for us homo erectus to gorge out on calorie dense hyperpalatable foods because it was a time of food scarcity and famine could be around the corner like let's pack on the calories and make sure we can survive through whereas today we're we're in this a completely different environment but we have the same biology And that biology is being exploited a bit by these foods that are created to get that bliss point. Mm -hmm. So, when they, everything from the way they crack and the sound to the initial taste as they hit our tongue, everything is designed for us to overconsume them. And, you know, there are great studies. There's a really good study, really interesting study that came out a year ago that a guy called Kevin Hall this is not going to get too sciencey, so don't worry. He does research on metabolism and and weight gain and weight loss. And he wanted to look at ultra-processed foods versus processed foods. He wanted to do it and bring people in to a hospital setting so he could track every single thing that they ate. And so he created two diets, the processed food diet and the unprocessed food diet. He matched them for fiber, protein, carbohydrates, fat, sugar, salt, everything. He literally matched them. And he had people eat one diet for two weeks and then the other diet for two weeks. When people ate the ultra-processed food diet, every day they consumed 500 calories on average more. 500 calories more for the same level of satiety. So these foods... Mm. require we have to eat more calories from these ultra processed Mm. foods in order to feel just as full just as satisfied and that's dangerous when we live in an environment where they're just so readily available
1: do you know the other thing that i always think about you know we've moved so much away from not everybody but especially in Australia and in the western world I guess away from religious celebrations or times of where we'd go through mm. fasting mm-hmm. and I'm just watching you know it's Greek Easter this coming weekend and they go through a phase of I think it's Ramadan at the yeah, moment it's Ramadan too. as well yeah. it is yeah and they so they fast and they give their bodies these reset and they most mm. cultures it's vegan and we so we've had throughout history we've had these pauses mm. and mm. obviously the food was different you know traditionally mm. when we've been fasting but they've still gone through these These periods of time where they've given their bodies almost a bit of a reset. And so it's interesting. I think part of the challenge also is that we've moved away from that. We don't invest in that as much. And I said to so many of our Greek friends, are you fasting? Oh, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Why would I do that? And there's always a reason why you can't. Nah, i got my period. I don't fast when i got my period. Like I'm like, these people just now make the rules as they go, whereas once upon a time, this was very much part of their community and people coming together to eat and support yep. each other, and we just don't have that anymore. One thing I want to ask you before we do go is, what about planetary wellness? We have done an episode on planetary mm. wellness before, but from an impact of what consuming these more packaged foods and processed foods. Meat in general. And meat. What in your research, what has been found in terms of the impact on the planet?
2: I think this is probably as conclusive as it gets. And and there is so much science now, an overwhelming amount. And the consensus really is that a shift towards a, a plant predominant or a plant-exclusive diet, if that's the right thing for you, is considered by these leading environmental scientists as the cheapest, fastest, uh, easiest, and most effective action that can be taken on a personal level to help mitigate climate change, which is the the rising temperature of our environment, and to restore biodiversity and, and save fresh water as well. So that is a very consistent finding from large amounts of research and when you when you do compare animal foods to plant foods the plant foods use drastically less resources so it's an added benefit of adding more whole plants to your diet is that your environmental footprint will reduce and and I'm a big believer and I say this in the book that it's not about being perfect you know I write the book and I'm in the corner of anyone who's looking to add more whole plants Regardless of what that looks like and what that end label is, if you're doing that, you're part of the solution. You're not part of the problem. So I think it's important to emphasize that.
1: And I have one last question. I want to know, what do you base your nutrition around? Are you predominantly plant-based? I'm keen to learn. I eat exclusively
2: things? exclusively plant-based and that works for me. Mm. It works for me. I feel great now. Initially, Better than you did
1: when you were eating meat.
2: Yeah, I feel a lot better. And, and initially it was, I'm an all or nothing kind of person. Mm-hmm. And for me to try and titrate down and, and stick to a plant predominant diet, for me, I know that it would just get out of hand and I would fall back to my previous way of eating. So a line in the sand approach worked best for me.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but I just felt benefit after benefit in terms of feeling more energetic and I felt like I could train uh, more frequently and, and, and whatnot. And then learning about the environmental side of things actually came later and just added, I guess, a little bit to my why or purpose. And I think everyone understanding what is their why, why do they want to change their diet is important because that's what underpins and gives you reason to make some changes and to stick to them. Because let's face it, the hardest thing about our diet for most of us is creating changes that are life-lasting, long, long-lasting. long Like. I, mean, I didn't write this book, so you change your diet for two weeks. No. That's not how I want you to approach it. I want you to take what you can, build it into your life in a way that's sustainable, whatever that level is of commitment. And that's the way that you will reap the most benefits from it.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, can I just leave you with this anecdote? Go on then. I have two children who are very particular eaters. I don't say fussy, but particular. And one eats like a bird, literally, just pecks at things. And interestingly, well, two things. I took her to see a a dietician just recently and she was quite helpful. And then I was talking to a friend of mine who had to take her daughter who's the same age to the dietician because she eats like five servings of things. Oh, yes. So it's like the complete either end of the spectrum. So as an adult, you can make these choices, but trying to do it on behalf of children is like a whole other minefield. But so my birdie eater came home from school the other day and she said, it's not Everyone in my class had McDonald's for tea on the holidays, and we didn't have it. And oh, and the tears. And I was like, I guarantee you, not every child in your class had McDonald's. No, wouldn't
1: have had it. Maybe a handful. My children think that McDonald's has pancakes.
0: (laughs) Oh God! But honestly, I, I was like, you know, yeah, really. If this is the biggest issue in your life, I think yeah, so you funny, need to. Yeah,
1: I, I, I did experience that in the holidays. I had my niece and nephew staying with us, mm. and they ate like triple what my children would ordinarily oh, it's eat. It's weird, I was isn't like, what it? The heck's Who going are I you? Eat? Yeah. Also, like, this is kind of expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. I a... said to my sister, "Jeepers, they eat a lot." And she was mm. like, "Yeah, they do." I'm like, "My children, I don't wouldn't expect. I don't think they don't eat anything, but they certainly." Don't eat as much there you as go. others. so the variables, yeah, They're all different. Mm. They're all different. Simon, thank you so much for this
0: conversation. And I'm, thank you for bringing the science. I am a firm believer of science and I do like it to be interpreted by people who understand it. So yes, thank you. Yes, awesome. Um
1: Assuming everyone can find your book in all good bookstores and they can also check Even out- the crappy ones, yeah. <laughs> we like to say that.
2: <laughs> all bookstores. Every, every bookstore. <laughs> all
1: and your podcast, Plant Proof, yes? I got the title right. Yeah, Uh, good. If
2: if you want to learn more about this, then um, come over. We'd love to have you and find me on social media at plant underscore proof. Ask me any questions. I'm pretty active on there. Always happy to help out where I can. And before
0: you go, plant proof, what do you think about the benefits of plants when you're not eating them? Because I love getting out in my garden and just pottering. (laughs) the soil, all oh, of oh, that I, I think
2: that's a great way to connect to nature, mm. um, which may even give you more meaning and, and purpose to want to look after our environment. So I encourage everyone to get out into nature and uh, explore it in whatever way you
1: it, go it, and it is. Go talk to your trees. Yeah. Go and talk to them. They have such wisdom.
0: I'm think I'm crazy. I'm, I'm like, I'm just talking <laughs> to the lemon Potter. tree. <laughs> out around the garden, <laughs> pulling out. I like to just pull out weeds. You know, actually my favourite thing to do, this is a really crazy cat lady thing. Yeah. So I've got some plants that, you know, reseed themselves. Yeah. So I pull out the tiny little reseeded plant and then I poke it in the soil somewhere oh, else sure. and give it a second go. Give it
1: another, another <laughs> life. You are the best. Thank you, Simon. <laughs> we, will let you, we will let you go. Thank, Thank you. you. Enjoy your lunch. Thanks. Bye, guys. Oh, we will. Hopefully it'll be fried. <laughs> Bye. 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 You know, it's very funny that we've had Simon on and I've, as of late, been a little bit more motivated into looking into shifting and eliminating I I love meat, but I just don't feel good when I
0: eat it. Well, I think it's the amount that you eat. If I you don't actually eat much, but I if don't. you but if you plan out the week, mm. it can be easy to just fall into I don't know, I'm make it a make it motivated. Make, make it. Oh, well, it's good. Good for you.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. You know the other thing that I've discovered um in Melbourne is there's some amazing mm. plant based restaurants that mm. that you would not even think, oh gosh, I'm missing out. Even
0: some old school ones mm-hmm. like veg out it's yes. Like you know, what I think it's yes. instant killed it killed. Anyway, that's a bit local. No one wants yeah, no, to hear no, about no. that. But they they are around. The, so I yeah. get. I
1: mean, you know, challenges. Anything yourself.
0: with a curry sauce on it. Oh yeah. Bit of tofu, a couple of carrots, have a bit of sweet potato. Mm-mm, curry. I think lunch mm-hmm. is calling. I mm-hmm. know. Oh, I'm hungry. Okay. Anyway, hey. Um. Thank you, Simon. Thank yeah. you, Natalie. Oh, thank very you, Ball well Boys. Thank you. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Until next time, we hope this episode of The Wellness Collective has left you feeling happier, healthier and better. Listener.